So last week, we finished our series on the book of Genesis, well, part of Genesis, studying the life of Abraham. And next week, we'll begin a fall study uh, continuing our series in Acts that we started a couple years ago. We'll be covering chapters 8 through 12, if you'd like to read ahead of time. And we're going to be watching uh, the church face persecution and, and then spread out uh, outside of Jerusalem for the first time and what that means for the church today. But for this week, I want to take a one Sunday stop and have us take a prayerful look at Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Did anyone get a little scared from the uh, national test of the emergency alert system this week? Like I knew it was coming and I still made me jump. And I was also like a little extra scared when it went off because I forgot to wrap my phone in tinfoil. And so I got scared for a moment I was going to turn into a zombie. If you've seen any of the conspiracy theorist claims out there, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, you're probably better off for it. Well, praise God that didn't happen, at least not yet. Uh, one of my girls, I don't remember which one, they asked, they hadn't heard that before, and so they asked me, like, what is that? And I told them their sole purpose was to warn uh, the public of emergencies, and it was testing out the system. Well, today we're going to see Jesus warn the public about an eternal emergency. Now, he's not going to use the national emergency broadcast system, but he is going to use a sermon and a parable. And I pray today for any of us who need to pay attention to this alert that we will do so. We'll pick it up in the words of Jesus, starting in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did, I, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are some of, perhaps some of the scariest words in all of the Bible. Jesus is literally saying, listen, not everyone who thinks they're going to heaven is actually going to heaven. Not everyone who thinks they're going to heaven is actually going to heaven. I deal with this a lot at funerals as a pastor and I hear people talk about their loved ones and it seems like that everyone is always going to a better place. Heaven will be packed with all of earth. And some of you sit here today, you're like already excited. You're like, amen, yes, we need to preach on this. We need to preach more on this. And we need to preach on hell, fire, and brimstone. So everybody gets the understanding they're not everyone's going to heaven. They need to turn or burn. The thing is, Jesus is not speaking to everyone else or about everyone else. Jesus is literally talking to people who think they are Christians, who think they are followers of God. Let me pose a question to you this morning. I want you to ponder it for your life. Is it possible to be a Christian or to think you're a Christian and not really be one? It's a scary question to ponder because if it's possible to believe you're a Christian and not really be a Christian, that means that in this very room, 
this morning, there could be people who if they do not change how they view Christ and the way that they live, that the one day they will breathe their last breath and they are going to hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. Second Corinthians says Satan, the devil himself, works to blind the minds of unbelievers to the truth about who Jesus is. And someone posed this question to me once. They said, what if one of the ways that he blinds the minds of unbelievers is to convince them that they're Christians when they really are not? Now, since every single one of us sitting in this room and watching online are capable of being blinded, of being fooled, there's a word for every single one of us today. Now, even though this may seem like a message of doom and gloom, it's really a message of hope because I, my, my prayer is that this message is going to unmuddy the waters for some of us about what salvation in Jesus Christ really looks like. That if you're visiting today online or in the house, that you'd be like, okay, this is what it means to be a follower of God because you probably watch some people and are like, is that what a follower of God looks like? For some of you as Christians, it's an opportunity along with me to check my heart. And then for those of us who are really following Christ, it's an opportunity for us to learn and gain another tool in how to challenge the people in our lives who say they're Christians, but we know they are not living for the Lord. So when I started this message, the, the first question that came to my mind and I imagine maybe the question that's coming to some of your minds, other than why is this pastor such a downer, is how do I know that I'm going to heaven? How do I know that I am going to be with God? The nice thing is he gives us the answer right here in verse 21. It says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but, of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. Now, this is a confusing statement because if any of us like saw someone with a list of accomplishments like this, like if we met somebody and, and we, we saw them prophesy in the name of God or they were like casting out demons or they like did mighty works in the name of God, we would be like, man, what an incredible man or woman of God, right? You know, they would be at all the Christian conferences. They'd be selling books off the shelves. Like they'd have their own VeggieTales character, right? They would be a legit varsity level Christian. But Jesus, to Jesus, none of these things were considered to be doing the will of God. And when I read this, I'm like, if these things are not considered the will of God, what is? Because I don't do these things. Well, once again, he gives us the answer. He gives us the answer right in verse 23, right before he says, depart from me. What does he say? He goes, I never knew you. I never knew you. He doesn't say, depart from me, you haven't done enough. He says, depart from me because I never knew you. And, and, and I think in the simple phrase, we discover God's will for us, it is to know him. Do you know him today? 
Now, I'm not asking you if you know of him, but do you know him because there is a difference between the two? I told you years ago uh, in a different sermon, I told you how I one day through those DNA tests, I, I found out that I got four cousins that I never knew about, and three of them are pastors. And, uh, and one's an executive pastor for Dr. David Jeremiah's church down in California. And so I, I went down to visit him down in San Diego. And I knew of him. I, you know, I texted with him. But I didn't know him. And so I spent an entire day with his family. And we drove around and he showed me the campus of the church, which I'm pretty sure their cafeteria is bigger than all our buildings combined. This place is huge. He, he talked to me about the struggles of ministry and the successes and his family. And so I walked away from that day and I'm like, I, I know this guy now. I know him. I don't just know of him. That's my cousin. I actually know the guy, his personality. And this is one of the struggles that Jesus had with religious leaders of the day. They did not really know God personally. They weren't, they weren't driven by a relationship with God. They were driven by what they wanted from God. You see, often when we don't know somebody, we're driven by what we can get from them. You know, you, you take it back in your days if you ever were a waiter. I mean, if you were a, a, a good waiter or a waitress and you had people come into you, you probably didn't know them, but you wanted to treat them well, right? You know, maybe you want to be a nice person, but what, you know, what was the added benefit? A nice tip. Whereas if you have people that you come in that you just love and like you just know them, they're friends, they're family, you want to give them great service because they're, you know them. The religious leaders of that day, they wanted, they wanted to be seen as strong and mighty and holy in front of other people. They wanted to be able to show God all of the great things they have done for his name. They wanted to avoid hell and his punishment. There's all this give and take that they wanted from God. I think the same mistake is made today. Some of us do lots of stuff for God, but we don't do it out of a relationship with God. We do it because we want something out of it. And it's so subtle, it can happen without us even thinking about it or realizing it. Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller, he says, it's impossible to come to God and to want intellectual stimulation, to want emotional gratification and fulfillment, or to want usefulness and still not want God himself. Have you ever asked yourself why you come to church? Like, why are you sitting here? Why do you come? Or, or if you serve here in a ministry, why do you serve? If you give money to support the ministry, why? Do you do it because it's like this deep appreciation for your relationship with God and he commands you to do it? Or, and, and you know the benefits of, of, of your father in heaven and anything that he commands? Or is there another reason that you're here? I mean, Why? I mean, are you here because it makes you feel good, like you're on, on God's good side? Are you here because you don't want to look bad in front of other people, like, oh, they're missing again? And you want to be seen as important and committed? You know, if you serve, do you serve out of a deeper relationship with, with God out of that motivation? Or it's because you want to show off your talents, you want to be seen looking as talented and good? Are you here because you want to get on the good side of your spouse? or your parents? Or are you here because you're forced to go? Why are you here? 
are you here? So what does it look like for us practically to know God, to know him? If that's his will, for us to know him, what does it look like? Let's continue on in verse 24 where Jesus gives us a parable. As he's closing out the Sermon on the Mount. He says, everyone then who hears these words of mine, and pay attention to that, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell. And the great, and great was the fall of it. Now, in the beginning of this parable, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine, the teaching I've just done, okay? Hearing literally means, here in the Greek, to understand. To understand. Not just to hear it, but to understand it. One of these problems that I think that we have where people think they're a Christian and they're not is because they don't understand, they haven't heard his words on what it means to know God, what it means to be a follower of God. And sometimes it is the church's fault. We tell people, come forth and accept Jesus into your heart, right? Invite Christ into your life. Make Jesus Lord. Pray this sinner's prayer. problem is you will struggle in the Bible to find any place where anyone says, bow your head, close your eyes, and pray this prayer with me. You will not find it. It is not there. And the fallout of this is there are tons of people out there who have prayed this prayer, who, and, and they believe they're saved because they prayed a prayer, or they may have got baptized once, which we'll talk soon about in a couple weeks. That's what they go to. Am I saved? Yeah, I prayed this prayer. I will talk to people. Oh, do you follow Jesus? Yeah, when I was in elementary school, I prayed a prayer. People tell me this. Now, let me be clear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you should not pray. (laughs) Be clear on that one. Prayer is probably the best way to start a relationship with God because how do you get to know anybody? You talk to them. What I'm saying is that if we as churches and as Christians, sell salvation as like this magical prayer, we're like no different than those old-time con artists that would go from town to town selling magic cures in a bottle. You don't invite Jesus into your heart. You do not invite him into your life. You don't make him Lord of your life. You acknowledge him. He's already Lord of your life. He's already king. He's already your savior. It's a difference of whether you acknowledge that fact or not. We must stop assuming personal salvation, as David Platt would say, without a biblical foundation. 
Let's go to the words. Speaking of a biblical foundation, what was the very first thing that Jesus said when he began his public, it began his public ministry? We're going to Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15. It says, Now after John, John the Baptist, was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Pray the sinner's prayer. No, no. He says, Repent and believe in the gospel. Repent and believe in the gospel. The cornerstone, the foundation of salvation. He gives two commands. We'll take the second one first. He says to believe. To believe in what? To believe in the gospel. To believe in the problem of sin and the solution of sin. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of who? Right? Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So belief means I am separated from a holy God because of my sin. I am a terrorist. That's what you are as a sinner. Because you live in a way, you speak in a way that ignores the authority of God. And you teach other people by the way you talk and act to do the same. Whether it's your children, your family members, your, your fellow students, your coworkers, whoever it may be. You say, man, this, I am worthy of death. I've committed treason against God. But Jesus, he has come in and he has paid the price for my sin. Like owning a, a debt that I could never pay. He comes in and he pays that debt. I believe that. And he is Lord of everything. So we're called to believe. And we are also called to repent. Repent means to literally turn around, to change direction from the way that you're going. So if you have prayed a prayer but your life does not look any different, then you have not repented. And you are in danger of hearing those words, depart from me, I never knew you. Far too many of us, I say it again, we look to a prayer as the sign of salvation. And this is why like, sometimes I have people come to me and they're like, I, like, they're like, I don't remember if I ever prayed a prayer. Like they're looking for that, that special moment where salvation fell on them. And I'm like, look, at your moment of salvation was 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross. And if you sit here today and you have confessed Jesus as Lord of your life, if you're repentant and doing your best to live for him, that, that's the sign you need. You see, the sign of salvation in our life it comes after we pray the prayer. It's called obedience. All we need in our lives to find salvation is faith in him and repentance. And the fallout of that will be obedience to him. What is obedience? It means to do what someone in authority tells you to do. Now, to do what someone tells you to do, you have to hear what they've told you to do. 
The problem that, again, that too many make is we assume that we're following God because we never read his word or listen to his word. We're ignorant to his word, so we're dumbed down to the fact that we're not following his word, and that is not an excuse. You get pulled over by the police. I didn't see the speed limit sign. You're getting the ticket. I mean, if you're not reading the word of God in your life, how can you know if you're obeying his words? There's so many things Christians believe in this world that they, I don't know where they got because you would never get them from reading the word of God. I was talking with somebody who was, dealing, uh, was trying to minister to Jehovah's Witness, for example. Jehovah's Witnesses, they'll believe that Jesus and Michael the archangel, same dude. If you sit there and read the Bible cover to cover, you'd never get that. You would never get it. Like it would, it would, you couldn't even like get it near it. And there's so many things that people live in this world that believe about our morality, our sexuality, um, uh, every aspect of our lives that are not based in God's word. They're based maybe in a social media post that sounds good or what some, some passionate preacher told them, but it's not in the word of God. And if you don't regularly go through the word of God, you have to wonder, like, how many things do I believe that are literally not there? 2000, uh, I think 11, they might have done one more recently, but I didn't find it. There was a study done by Barna and they, they found out that half of the adults in America that they asked had prayed a prayer of salvation and they believed in, they were going to heaven, okay? But half of them rarely, if ever, attended church. Half of them did not read the Bible personally and did not hold to actual biblical beliefs. This is what Jesus meant when he said the people who were lawless. Law also, we always think it's almost negative, but it also in the Old Testament means teaching. Okay, They were not holding to, following, or believing in the teachings of God. And the reason this matter is that to claim that Jesus is Lord of your life and not to submit every single area of your life to him means he's really not Lord of your life. If I tell somebody, listen, I want you to come in. I want you to run my business. You're over everything. And then I put a clause in, but I'm going to veto or overturn any decision I like, then ultimately, who's still the one in charge? I am. Repentance means, as another illustration, abandoning the driver's seat. Jesus, take the wheel. Right? But in a little bit different way. It means whatever you say goes. Too many of us, we treat God like Waze. You have Waze ever, you put Waze on or Google Maps, Apple Maps, whatever you use, and you don't like the direction it gives you, you're like, I'm going this way. It can readjust itself. That's what we do with God. We, get to, we take the parts, the times he gives us direction, we like, oh, I'm going to follow this. But if I don't like the direction, I'm going my own way, God will readjust. That's called sin. I love this quote. If Jesus is not Lord of all, your words, your actions, your thoughts, your opinions, he's not Lord at all. Now, let me explain something really, really important. 
I am not saying that only people who have it all together are going to heaven because we would all be in trouble, including me. What I'm saying is that to go to heaven, you have to acknowledge that Jesus is Lord over every single area of your life. That there is no portion, no view, no opinion, no thought process, no action that is off limits to him. Yeah, you're still screwed up. You still sin. You still get things wrong. But in all of the times that you fail, you still acknowledge him as Lord. And you're doing actual steps in your life through prayer and study of his word and and meeting with fellow believers and being obedient to his word to actually become more like him. That's your goal. That's what you want. That's your drive. You say, man, he is Lord. I am going to submit everything to his life. And what will happen is your life will reflect it. And there will be a pattern of your life where you look more and more and more like him. It's called sanctification. That is what it means to have salvation. There's one other way. There's one other way that I think you you know that you have found salvation in him. And it's when life gets tough. It's when the rubber, when your faith, it's kind of the rubber meets the road, when your faith meets challenges in your life. It's how you react when things don't go your way. I mean, go back to the parable we read about the two builders. If you look at these two men and you looked at their homes like before the storm hit, I'm gonna guess, you know, maybe a different style, different color, but no one would be able to see that one foundation was strong and one was weak. In the same way, we have people who come to church every week and they're smiling, like, how you doing? They're grabbing their tasty treats. They're serving God. They, they, they say the right things. They look like they're doing the right things as long as life goes smooth. But eventually, as we all know, storms are coming into our lives and it spares Literally no one. If you ever follow under a teacher who says, Jesus wants you healthy, he wants you wealthy, he wants to bless you, run. Run. So you don't get hit by the lightning with him. The Bible is clear. You are Christian, you're gonna have trouble in this life. You are gonna have suffering in this life. You, he spares no one in this world. We get spared in the next world. John 16 says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Several years ago, and this is a struggle for some of us. Several years ago, I I bought tickets to go see this, this, uh, this show with my friend. When we showed up, it had been canceled. And I was annoyed. Why? Because I had a contract with them. I bought your tickets, you entertain me. We have the same mentality sometimes when it comes to God. God, how can you do this to me? I don't deserve this. And when and are you angry with me? I, I don't get this. Like we have a contract with God. I do certain things. God will do certain things to bless me. Less bad things are going to happen. And then if something does go wrong, it's because God's angry at me and I did something to break my contract with him. I have seen it time and time and time again. 
One of the signs that you're not really a Christian, and I'm not, I'm not saying you're not, but a sign is that your commitment to Christ goes up and down based on how good your life is going. A real Christian, someone who really looks to the Lord, has a foundation in Christ that carries them through every storm. No matter how much the home gets beaten, battered, it does not crumble. And then when the bad things come, you're not like, is God angry with me? You're like, you know what? You look, say, man, this could be, is my sin cause this? Because sometimes our sin does cause this. We don't like to pay attention to that. Sometimes things just happen because we're in a fallen world. But we don't sit there and go, God's angry at me. He doesn't love me anymore. We say, no, no, no. God loves me. I'm a child of God. The moment that I acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, he adopts me. Scripture, time and time again, adopts me into his family. He's my father. He's with me through this, not throwing it at me. And furthermore, when, when, when those storms come, you, you're not, your eyes are not on everything that you're going to lose. Your eyes are on him. You could lose everything in your life. And man, it, don't get me wrong, it would be sad and it would be hard and, and, and it just, it would, it would not be fun. But it doesn't crumble you. You don't break apart because you know that no matter what happens, no matter how bad, how ugly, how hurtful, none of it can take away the one true thing that matters. And that is your salvation in Jesus Christ. Because you know that one day you're going to breathe your last breath. You're going to open your eyes or however the transition goes. And you're going to be in the presence of your father for all of eternity. So no matter what comes flying, you will not crumble. Because your foundation is in the cornerstone. Jesus Christ. People who really know God in the midst of the storm say, if I lose everything... Praise God, I still have you. Is that the foundation that your life is built on this morning? 2 Corinthians 13 tells us to examine ourselves, not everybody else, ourselves, of whether we are in the faith. And so my prayer is like fourfold here my desire for you. One is to ask yourself, to honestly ask yourself to sit and think about it, which we're horrible doing because we have social media nowadays and we don't meditate on nothing. I like this, I like this, I don't like this, swipe. We don't. We don't spend time meditating. To actually stop and pray, say, Lord, do I know you? Or where do I not know you as I should know you? What do I need to do to hear you? Am I reading your word? My, like, come to church. Am I in a study? What, Lord, help me to know you better. Help me to do the things I need to know to know you better. Parents, to stop and say, am I teaching my children, even if they're grown children, what it means to know God? Not to do things for God, but to know him. To know his salvation. And am I challenging them when they're not living that way? For those of you who are going through the storm right now, because the storm's coming, either it's happening or it's about to, 
Are your eyes on him? Are your decision-making, are your prayers, are the way that you talk, are they with the mindset that I could lose everything, but I cannot lose the one thing that matters? And don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean you're happy, smiley, go lucky, rainbow sunshines, you know, kitty cats and fluffy things. No, it doesn't mean you're faking it. Okay, remember I tell you this a billion times. It's not our job to sell who Jesus is. It is our job to tell who Jesus is. And that means through the pain, through the struggle, through the doubt, Jesus is the one thing that's still my foundation. And finally, if you sit here today and you're like, you know what? I don't think I know him. The great thing is every moment is the perfect moment to meet him. So I say, you grab someone after, don't wait. Don't let the devil get in there. Don't apathy get in there. Don't let doubt. Get somebody after service. I'm invaluable. You grab someone else you know that knows the Lord and say, I want to pray. I want to talk to Jesus. I want to I acknowledge him as Lord, and I want to commit my life to him. Those are my prayers for you today.